0: Welcome to an episode of Find Your Voice, a movement led by yours truly, Aaron Dew, a guy who has overcome crippling anxiety, adversity, and difficulty like so many of you in life, whose main goal now is to help you combat your excuses, take control of your life, write your own story, and most importantly, find your voice. So now, without further ado, I welcome the host of the show himself, Mr. Aaron Dew. What's going on, people? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Voice. My name is Aaron, and as always, I am the host of the show. So, I am delighted to be able to bring on James to the show today, who is actually a host of a podcast himself, known as the Mindset Athlete Podcast. He is a transformational coach, he's a speaker, and he's also a Paralympian for 2008 and also the 2012 Olympics. So the reason I feel this episode is going to be really useful for yourselves is because I've always believed that an athlete's mindset is something that many of us could benefit from if we were able to transfer it into our day-to-day lives. So whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're just trying to move up the corporate ladder in your life or whatever it is actually, being able to master your mindset to really overcome that pain or really try and keep yourself inspired or motivated in times where you just don't feel like doing it because let's be honest we all have those days we all have those days where we just can't be bothered to do certain things and then that becomes a bit of a habit and then long behold we find ourselves in a bit of a rut whereas the thing with athletes especially those who operate on a high level like James himself is there is a level of consistency so for me I was really interested in trying to tap into his mindset and we've had Raj on the show previously as well, who's absolutely fantastic and is really interesting to just dissect information and see how these people just operate on such a high scale. So without further ado, let's get this interview on the way. Okay, so I'd like to welcome James onto today's episode of Find Your Voice. James, how are we doing today?
1: I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very well as well. So this is probably our fourth attempt now, I think, at trying to get this episode going. But I always, uh, I always have that quote in the back of my head like the Guinness advert, like good things come to those who wait. So I'm really looking forward to this. And more so probably from a bit of a selfish perspective because I love speaking with athletes and I love the athlete mindset. So that's kind of where I'm going to edge this conversation towards if I may. But obviously for the listeners now who have just tuned in, it would be good if you could just kind of give a summary about your life, some of the stuff that you're doing today and basically what brings you here today on Find Your Voice.
1: Uh, obviously, my background, as, as you've said, is as an athlete, I spent just over a decade competing for GB. I competed at countless world championships and two Paralympics, just to name a few. That's across a multitude of disciplines. So I started out as a swimmer, only made it to development level in that sport, progressed onto rowing, where I kind of propels my career and then finally in the sport of city volleyball and obviously the career that I'm doing now is helping fellow amputees lose between 10 to 30 pounds without restricting the foods that they like I
0: love that and you just mentioned obviously you're helping amputees and that's obviously because it's something that resonates closely with yourself due to your own life experiences would you mind just sharing that for obviously the people who haven't seen you from a physical standpoint
1: Absolutely. Um, well, mine technically is not an amputation because I've had my disability all my life. So I've never had to endure, be it a traumatic experience, be it cancer, car accident, etc. However, I can relate to them and resonate with it because obviously the day-to-day, I wouldn't call it really a struggle, but be the day-to-day hustle and grind, I live it. So in terms of that, I think there's an element of trust from the get-go, because content-wise, pictures, people can see, okay, you 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 you're trustworthy from the get-go. It's exactly what it says on the tin, and you know exactly what you're gonna get. So you kind of you got an inkling uh, and know me, I say like maybe one to five percent already, because you've got that rapport. But I think my disability differs. I haven't got that musculature that those individuals have been able to develop. So I think my mindset is probably stronger. Than most, because it's been, I won't call my family ruthless, but they're kind of an old school approach of you either sink or you swim. So it's very positive in its nature. Mm. And I've kind of instilled that as my foundation.
0: Absolutely. So for anyone who will obviously follow James after this journey, I think, it is it your left leg? Yeah. Yeah. So it's obviously visible from your left leg. That's very interesting that you mentioned that obviously because you were born with it, it's a different perspective in terms of somebody who's probably got used to using both of their legs and then had to go through that level of trauma. But again, the mindset bit is really interesting. And this is where I really wanna kind of delve into your story. And you just briefly touched on your family there who some would say is ruthless, but the more reading I do and the more I kind of do self-development, what I've tended to realise is that if we don't mollycoddle our children or we don't always try and protect them in times of adversity, Actually, in the long run, that's probably going to serve them better in terms of building resilience. And that's probably what you've demonstrated as well, in terms of all the incredible achievements. I mean, you started the conversation saying you only got to development level at swimming and then obviously you went to rowing and then volleyball. I mean, that's incredible, especially at a national level and you've been doing it for 10 years. So one of the things I wanna ask you about then is because I'm always fascinated with athletes because I believe to be at the top level which is what you are at you have to have a specific mindset you can be physically capable you can have all of the the speed the agility the strength but if your mind isn't right I believe that won't transfer because obviously you've done that side how have you managed to transfer your lessons from being an athlete into what you do today because I know you're doing some other stuff like your podcasting i believe you're doing speaking as well so could you just maybe explain that transfer process has it been easy for you or was it difficult moving from being associated as an athlete and now suddenly having to come into a bit of a different sector
1: i think it's difficult but being i think the podcast has facilitated some of that because you've got to speak to bit like-minded individuals uh, and be people a little bit more expertise in yourself, so they will give a different perspective on something what I I may may have not thought about. The audience may not have thought about, and and it kind of gives me a curveball to say, well, okay, I've always looked at competition as a positive, and obviously in in the in the realms of sport, it's something good because you need it, but it's sometimes not a very good transferable skill over until. I'll, I'll coin it from one of my guests, Donny and said, like going from one pool to the next, that's a skill that won't transfer because in the nature that we live in and society that we live in, that's when comparison starts to creep in. And that's obviously very detrimental to you. So I think to answer your question more specifically, mm-hmm. it's probably a little bit of trial and error. It's been things that I've done particularly, I'll say wrong. So trying to compare and compete against peers within the industry and i have no reason to whereas i think maybe with that shift towards working with obviously my peers from an amputee perspective the only person that can be the real competitor or such or could or can kind of squash me is myself so i think i look to level the bar in terms of learning from talking to prospective clients, speaking to new people and and kind of upping my game in terms of, I like to use this saying that I spoke to uh, Sean Harper most recently, is to look at, do you look at a success or winning? And I think that mentality of obviously what is very sports driven in terms of obviously winning and losing, as opposed to looking at things that's what he coined as the system hijacks the winning by implementing success, I think it's given me a better outlook because you look to obviously reproduce things that you do well as opposed to producing. And I'm going to take this from Gary V's video I saw last week. You're trying to make a viral content. You're going to obviously burn out because you're trying to come up with the next big thing as opposed to being consistent with anything. Mm. That's what people want to see. They want to see consistent. They don't just want to, don't want to hit, see a one and hit wonder and then you disappear again.
0: Absolutely. I second that sentiment in terms of consistency over everything, really, and more so in terms of delivering your truth and delivering your story, which is pretty much what you do. I also like the way you have mentioned the shift towards more of a collaboration, and I think it's always great to have that competitive nature, but I think the wiser I've become and the more I've kind of grown up, That competition almost becomes, like you mentioned, with myself. It's about, can I just be a little bit better than yesterday? Can I just try and be 1% better? But then still, I find moving forward, especially even in the podcast space, I mean, we're doing this now where we're reaching into each other's kind of platforms and audience without really thinking about it organically as well. And I think that just helps not just only spread your message, but also helps obviously spread the message of find your voice as well. So I think that's a really, really good lesson. And just before I forget and move on to the next question, I made a note when you said that you now help people, I think, is it lose 10 to 30 pounds without really having to do too much?
1: Not too much. And and obviously, I spoke to somebody yesterday on a call, and they were skeptical. So obviously, I reached into that. So okay, let's as opposed to gloss over it and kind of pussyfoot around it, the subject, let's go straight into it. That's something that's struck a nerve with you, got you uneasy, like a gut reaction. Well, this doesn't sit well with me. Okay, let's sit down and say, well, what is the the objection that you're having towards this figure, be it 10 to 30 pounds, because he brought it up. So it's like, okay, I, I'm quite happy to go under the microscope and I'm quite happy to disclose, well, okay, let's break it down from a 90-day perspective to a weekly basis, and you could kind of see, well, there is a step-by-step process, whereas most things in the industry, be it Weight Watchers, Living mm-hmm. World, they kind of gloss over it, but they kind of sell you this miraculous magic pill kind of approach, be it from a marketing perspective, because it's it look it looks nice on the outside, but it doesn't tell you the ins and out. Well if you do this beyond the time scale that you want and you went back to doing what you were doing before, what's gonna happen? So it's very misleading in terms of I'm gonna say the industry as a whole, it's very it's trying to keep things close to the close to your chest. And I think through what you were talking about, becoming more open and telling your story Telling your own struggles, and be it giving everything away, not necessarily for free, but giving away that information that you've been able to accomplish and achieve through your own level of experience and obviously study. I think people are appreciative of that because obviously they if they can improve their knowledge, they can then start questioning things that come up in in the real world be they've got that awareness kind of be critical of of be what is in a sense subliminal messaging from a tele- from a marketing perspective be it television social media etc magazines and I, and I got the chap to say next time you see the supposed advert come up pause it look at the small print and look at the time frame that a person supposedly lost weight and you say to me has she actually got a result so I, I'd be interested to hear what he says when he comes back to me so I think it's selling the influencer because they've done it whereas it's like well uh, i think and the one that really annoyed me was uh the chap of love island signed up to them thinking you don't need weight watches you come from an athletic background we gotta do a shift so i think okay I, I don't blame him for jumping on the bandwagon to get an endorsement deal but why that product
0: mm. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So I
0: pretty much sing from the same hymn sheet as you as well. I kind of call all these Weight Watchers and all these other sort of quick fixes, uh, I call them fad diets because what they do is obviously through their marketing, they prey on people who want instant gratification and everyone's kind of looking for this very, very short fix and one of the things I've done so I've been a personal trainer for about eight nine years and I went through the process of losing a lot of weight so I lost about 42 pounds myself but I lost it very very quickly I had no idea about nutrition x y and z and that's kind of a story for another day but I've been very fortunate to have helped well over 100 people lose 10 to 30 pounds and I'm glad you're kind of doing it in a way that I think is really important and that is coming up with a solution that's sustainable and I think stuff like Weight Watchers and All these other point counting things whatever it may be they may get you results within a specific period of time because most of it is calorie restricted diets but what i tend to find is the moment you step away from that program and you kind of revert back to your normal life that's where the problems start to seep back in and your old habits so i similar to yourself i mean this could be a conversation we have offline because i'm fascinated by it and i want to try and do some stuff in the health industry because i do feel there are a lot of people just manipulating people and just just for money like you mentioned that love island guy like everyone's allowed to obviously do what they want to do in life, but I sometimes feel like ethics should stand for something. I mean, I've been offered by a lot of juice companies back in the day when I used to do a lot of fitness work, could you promote my juice? And I'm like, I could, but I just don't believe in it. And I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, the juice stuff, but for me, it's about people should be happy and they should be living a life that adheres to what they're doing and just making sensible swaps and stuff so that's kind of where I was edging you towards on how you were doing that and I'm assuming that is what you do is probably tell people certain things that they could do better maybe with substitutes or different types of practices am I right in saying that could I could I maybe put you on the spot James and just ask you could you just give the listeners maybe just one tip that they could absolutely, just absolutely
1: absolutely I think I think the difference between my program and say that all the companies that we've met Phil mentioned mm-hmm. is they give her the tools, I look to instill and give the tool back. So mm-hmm. it's it's very much more ethics-based, values, morals. If I can get you to a position where I don't know, three months, six months, a year, two years at the most down the line, you can walk away from me, walk away from the industry, love it. and you you'll say self-sustainable and you can look after yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think there are trainers out there that have that ethic code mm-hmm. and that surprises people it's like oh you you don't want to keep me yeah so, well if I've given you everything you need to do be it the only thing that you're hanging around for necessarily is probably the accountability mm. and you enjoy that relationship that we've built up whereas I think this is very much I think people believe that they're buying into a product where in fact they're buying into the person so I think first and foremost you believe in that person to start off with uh, and then the, the the kind of the product or the service that they're, they're, they're giving you is like the cherry on top. Mm, absolutely. I love that. So as you
0: were saying, that that's literally always been my ethos as well is when I have a client, my thing is how can I literally equip them with all of the stuff that they need to basically get them out the door again and never come back. And I mean that with obviously all due respect because I enjoy all of my clients. I enjoy you spending time with them, but at the same time, I feel I wouldn't have done my job if I hadn't got them in a position where they could live without my input, if that makes sense. So I love that you preach that and I love that obviously that's what you demonstrate. So that's that's nice and it's reassuring to hear because obviously there are people there who will kind of hold back on what they can offer. And I believe that if you give everything and I've always given everything to my clients, what actually happens is they do buy into the person. So they're brought into me and then they'll kind of stay with me. For accountability. I've even had clients say the training's fantastic but actually it's just more about spending time with you from like a mindset perspective or a belief perspective and that's always a very very nice warm feeling that you know that actually they already have everything but they still want to spend time with you and I'm sure you probably deliver that tenfold to all your clients so that's really interesting. Um, just in ever so slightly then I want to talk about doubt because I believe obviously we all go through doubt we all have this imposter syndrome or we have limiting beliefs. And that's probably something that you have probably had to deal with from an athletic perspective. What I want to know is, James, if you wouldn't mind, is could you just maybe tell us an experience of when you experienced doubt or moments of doubt, for example, and how you overcome those moments? Because I think it's interesting when we see people like yourself who are successful, who have operated on a national level and we're thinking, bloody hell, it's easy for him. It's all right for him. But I'm sure there's probably been moments, several moments, in fact, where you've doubted yourself. And how do you just kind of, overcome that barrier
1: i think it goes further back than my athletic career i think the first instance of doubt is probably as a teenager and i think everybody starts to question themselves mm. be it earlier or slightly later than that in their life but obviously for me it was as a teenager mm-hmm. because i think i was questioning my identity if i look into it deeply as to well i think at times that i i wanted to be nothing any anything but disabled I would not want to wear shorts around other people even though if I asked them did you have a problem with the disability broke down to probably no but I think it's it was an element of I wasn't acceptable with my true self I think really and I think that element of doubt does creep in where you do what's like oh I'd rather hide it away and not having to discourage other people's perspectives of me and obviously that's people pleasing in a nutshell but I think what actually fixed that for me in a kind of light bulb moment it's like well who's it really affecting because obviously with my my family I've been in the military I had the privilege to be um, in American high school so I didn't have to wear a uniform which would be the case in the UK so uh, if I put that into context I would have no problem wearing shorts in an athletic environment albeit I would have been a swimming back there I had no problem showing it off but I think in the realms of the rest of the day I did so to actually eat into that and and, and say well why on the one hand are you comfortable and on the other hand you're not I don't know <laughs> that's for me to still come to terms with and kind of Maybe talk to somebody being be within the hypnotherapy mm-hmm. kind of world and, and kind of delve as well. Why do you, why did you think like that? But I think to come to my point with that, I kind of quashed those thoughts and, well, it's affecting me. Mm. I have a problem with that. And what am I going to do about this? It? It's like, well, what can you do about it? Wear shorts. What are you going to do? Wear shorts. Mm. If anybody has a problem oh well that's theirs so I think it's been a shift in mindset Mm -hmm. from that period on so when people do come to me and say similar circumstances have arisen to them be it more I would say more problematic be I think a couple years ago somebody asked they were shouted at across a restaurant in the US wearing shorts so I kind of said to them well obviously that doesn't make you feel good but it's not for you to feel guilty for somebody else's beliefs. Mm. You haven't got the problem with wearing the shorts. They have. So it's them and it needs to take the reality check, not you. So they were in tears. It's like, well, it's not your fault that this person has been outspoken. Mm-hmm. It's they need to, I would say, check themselves to a certain extent and maybe check on some of their their mannerisms Uh, there probably is deeper issues underlying on that be it they've got a problem that they need to deal with and that's them having an outburst but i think it's it's helped me from that perspective of living certain scenarios Mm -hmm. being able to be aware of that i think does help if somebody isn't aware of what they're doing subconsciously subliminally to themselves be it repeating something over and over again the mm-hmm. big one case in point is i can't obviously you say that over and over again obviously you won't so i do get people to to question that one well do you really believe you can't do something mm-hmm. Well, what's stopping you you're putting a kind of a ceiling on yourself straight away Absolutely. and i think with myself there's always been like a glass ceiling yes you have a threshold but you can surpass that because you can always okay metaphorically you can't hurt yourself but if it was a real glass ceiling you know, but you could still push through that whereas I think if people could tell themselves and have a concrete ceiling was well, going to be that much difficult to break through it
0: absolutely I think that's a very thought-provoking answer and I think with the I can't that's probably something when I had a bit more of a victim mindset probably in my early 20s or late teens it was always I can't no oh, I can't do that I can't do this and now it's completely shifted to I can't do that yet and just that simple word yet has been so powerful in transforming in my own ability and just very quickly then if i may ask just a very slightly personal question it's probably seen as an elephant in the room for most people especially when they see you from a physical appearance would you mind people just coming up to you and speaking about it or would you just prefer not to have that conversation and again this is obviously specific to every single person
1: i'm one of those people because it's been 30 something uh, 33 years i don't care now it's it's i think the kid i think kids are going to be kids they're always going to approach you no matter what uh, even if you're not ready for it, I know I've I've spoken to people be it on Instagram mm-hmm. and say they're not quite ready to be able to answer questions just yet. That's fine. You could I, you could you could technically I'm not going to say lie or manipulate a child, but be it you could make up a story and they're going to believe you. So I don't know. Uh, you've been eaten by a shark, for an example. Mm. It's like they'll believe what you say because it's like they're fascinated by the story, mm. whereas I think where it becomes more difficult is the the adults, or I say sorry, mm-hmm. uh, because they become accustomed to, like we were saying, not want to, how would I word this, cause a problem, cause somebody to relive a, a traumatic experience, whereas like, like you were saying, individual case by case, how somebody deals with it is gonna be different. I generally have heard the the same question probably hundreds of times. Mm. So by all means, if you came up to me in the street uh, and and asked about the disability, it'd probably be easy if I was in shorts because it's a conversational starter. But obviously if I was just standing there uh, in the street with trousers on, not, not walking, you would, you couldn't tell. So I think for me, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. I've become more and more accustomed to wearing shorts, Mm. even, up until about what we Friday as we're recording this uh, earlier in the week wearing shorts it's not the warmest but it's become a little bit more convenient and yeah. a little bit easier to uh, get ready in, in the morning things like that so people have probably been a little bit more open in a dialogue mm-hmm. whereas I think maybe they're, they're a little bit um, not recluse but more reserved in an mm-hmm. in, in approach because that's how we are in society, we come becoming a little bit more withdrawn. I think uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was down in London, I purposely wore shorts to be, not get sympathy, but get a little bit more help. But that didn't, that didn't happen. But that that's the nature of the beast. It's a big city. It's very cutthroat uh, yeah, in terms absolutely. of its nature. So me trying to probably appease where, where I live in the UK and North Wales, mm. I would probably get a little bit more support Mm-hmm. That's probably not going to be the case. Okay, it was rush hour when I'd got there, so that they're probably they want nothing better than to get home. <laughs> yeah, but there are outliers. With there, I think it was a, I think it was I called him an Asian gentleman. Then I don't mm-hmm. put him in a box. He mm-hmm. asked, "Oh, do you want me to get you a seat?" So it's like, well, you don't expect you don't expect somebody to to start the conversation down in the big smoke. It's normally you will. Have to force it, or it'll be a tourist. Or it was just interesting because I've been because I used to live down there a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It's just how I've changed mentally, and just people watch and say, Well, you don't have to be that far removed, be it's only like two hours on the train from where I live. Yeah, but just the different in mindset be different from a speaking perspective. It's like in the north of the country for argument's sake the person didn't have headphones on or didn't want it to be disturbed you wouldn't but if they wanted to look up and have a conversation you would do whereas down there even though people haven't got headphones on they just don't converse it's like it's kind of like two different planets
0: absolutely well i had the um Pleasure of living in London for about two and a half years myself and coming from Birmingham straight down to London. It, it was a different environment, so I can only imagine what it was like, obviously, for yourself in terms of assistance and stuff that it being a little bit difficult. So just on that, then, in terms of your day to day life, what's it like living as James Roberts?
1: Um, No, no, no day is the same, but I think that's the same for everybody. OK, I've got my own hardships occasionally, be if I can't wear my prosthetic leg for be it blisters or breakdowns in the skin then I have to be on crutches hop around so I think it's very random in terms of the weekly basis whereas I think that's where the fundamentals of my business have probably helped because you've got to be adaptable you've got to be flexible and I think what we were talking about in terms of doing it for the long road it's having that ailment of persistence and patience whereas I think I've got that built-in Hardwired into my DNA, to in in terms of the patient aspect of it, you've got that persistence to keep going, playing the long game, and and doing it from that perspective. So I think my day to day, it's very much laid back. So it's trying to have the best of both worlds. Be it when it's go time, obviously the competitive hat needs to come on, and that laid back approach doesn't subside, but it probably diminishes. I think. To answer your question more specifically, it's a good existence. Mm, I love that.
0: I just think that's probably just your mindset. And I think even you probably don't give yourself enough credit that what you're doing on a daily basis, for some of us, if we were put in that situation now, it would be terrifying, it would be difficult. So you've just instantly got that ability just to be more resilient than more people so the little things that may stress us out which I sometimes laugh about when I think about some of the stuff I used to stress about you would just think what are you worried about that's very trivial and again obviously this is different for everyone's journey so having been through everything you've been through and I know you mentioned at the beginning of it you never had any sort of major trauma other than being born
1: with a disability what's your biggest fear right now then oh that's an amazing question um biggest fear I think, and ultimately, that probably for everybody's failure, isn't it? It's it's not living up to, and I did a post about this a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. living up to somebody's expectations as opposed to your own. And I think when people redefine what is failing or failure, it's nothing bad because obviously as a child, you would have failed at multi, a multitude of things. But what did you do? You got back up and you went again. Whereas I think we lose sight of that mm-hmm. as we get older, be it... Through things that we learn or things that we pick up along the way, and we lose sight of that, and then you, you term success and failure as two things. It's like well, people did fail before they succeeded, you failed before you succeeded to ride a bike, you failed to, and succeeded before you learned to swim, so I think it's it's it comes down to perception and a perspective because obviously and I'm included in that argument you you kind of because you're in that kind of victim bubble, mm-hmm. you only see things through uh, 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 rose tinted glasses. You, you perceive that it only affects you and it's all doom and gloom. So, it, so everything is, when some, something goes wrong or you've done something per se, oh, not the quite way, you look at it as a failure as opposed to, well, what can I learn from it? So I think that is probably the one thing to take away from it is redefining what failure is. Mm.
0: Absolutely. I think it kind of falls into the growth mindset aspect as well. And it almost becomes a little bit exciting. And this might sound a bit crazy for anyone who's probably not reframed it in that way. But I used to hate the sight, the word, just the notion of failure. And then when I started reframing it internally, subconsciously, it's almost like now I need to get to, say, point B. And in order to get there, I know I need to fail along the way. So I'm almost excited because I'm thinking the more failures I have along the journey, the more I learn, the more experience I get, the more resilience I build, which will then effectively lead me to point B. So I think that's a brilliant answer there. And again, it does come down to perception. It does come down to, what we see as success. Can I ask, what does success mean to you?
1: I think it's changed, and, it's, and I think it's ever changing because what I viewed as success, be it a decade ago, is mightily different to how I think of it now. And I think it's gonna, it's gonna, and what I'll think of it be it a year down the line, three years, five years from now, will will change. And I think that ever, ever evolving sense of the word. And I think being able to speak to people like Sean Harper on what is the difference between success and winning i think that mantra of obviously winning is from uh, i'm going to paraphrase it now is from the inside out which is very much very built on my core beliefs in terms of that growth mindset mm-hmm. it's what you believe in even though you have your failures you're going to look well let me analyze where what i did particularly well mm-hmm. where did i fall short? And where can I improve on? Whereas I think if you look at success, Mm -hmm. it's more based on financial gain. So you're obviously on a hiding to nothing there because you're looking to prove something to obviously the exterior, be it materialistic objects, be it the fancy car, the big house, the nice holidays. But is that truly what you want to do and have to be successful, be it the Olympic champions, the multitude of winners, the multi-platinum artists, you don't forget those because those accolades are obviously about winning. They've pushed the envelope way out there and not put a figure or a number in terms of this is what I want to achieve. It's trying to do the best that they can do. And I think that's will set you up in the greatest stead from that perspective because you're going out to, to reproduce. It's, it's to do the things that you do well over and over again and obviously from an athlete perspective it's repetition it's a no-brainer that people like myself and who have obviously exceeded those exploits mm-hmm. have been good at their craft it's repetition is hours and hours and grinding at your craft yeah i think maybe where it's difficult when we do come out of that swimming pool approach of sport and come into a different realm of be it, okay, I'll use myself within business, mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult because we haven't got those those reps under our belt. We haven't got those fundamental growth mindset approaches mm-hmm. built in. So be it competition, uh, camaraderie, they're still there, but they're, they're, they're obviously worded slightly differently. So I think it, it, it's reframing. And taking different approaches that you were good at within your your wheelhouse, there's no reason that they can't be transferable skills. Okay, some you probably have to reframe, like I said, with the competition to be it so it's productive and not destructive. But that's obviously coming back and being reflective and analyzing how you do certain aspects of things and, and learning from it as opposed to, going into it and say well this isn't working let's let me throw in the towel mm. kind of approach because at the end of the day that's the only difference between be somebody like joe blogs on the street and olympic champion. okay they they do to a certain extent have the talent i'm not disputing that but i think where people don't see the difference is they're willing to put in that effort sacrifice persistent and pay and obviously a patient because it's going to take years and years of grinding away and creating that craft Mm. and not everybody does make it whereas i think the few that do comes down to those things more specifically Mm. Mm.
0: absolutely so repetition consistency hard work and i love that notion of obviously success piece winning and just very quickly then so you must have seen i'm assuming by the way so many people that maybe you competed with or you trained with who maybe had more talent than yourself not succeed due to maybe work rate would you say that's true
1: there's one person i can think of and and i'll shout him out is david hill the only time that he i think underachieved Mm -hmm. was i think he'd overtrained, and i didn't i per se didn't take advantage of that but that's obviously for me to live with I, i i can that i've accepted that i probably accepted it on the day it's like i made a mistake that i had an opportunity to be able to beat him when he was at on a downer so to speak but he's gone on from strength to strength in two sports now himself but i think more specifically to that question Hmm. that's underachieved because of their work rate probably me if i was brutally honest i appreciate that i probably could have done a little bit better with my athletic career, my mum more specifically likes to say occasionally, if you'd have put in the work rate that you had done in volleyball and rowing into swimming, you would have been a better swimmer, but that, I think that's all hypothetical, and those are all what ifs It's like well, I didn't, and I can 't change that, yeah but I think that is where coaches along the way mm-hmm. have been very supportive in terms of my swimming coach when I went to university. I kept in touch throughout the rest of my career Mm -hmm. and went to speak to him occasionally, not on a weekly basis, but touching touching maybe once a month, maybe once a fortnight to, to see, well, this is what I'm doing now. But he was one of my keen supporters when I made my first Paralympic team. It's like, oh, you finally achieved what you were capable of. So I think that was very humbling to hear. It's like, well, yes, you did believe in me, where maybe I didn't mm. and I think it's one of those things to have those people and have those that support in your corner kind of to give you that reassurance that kick up the ass when you need it because they've seen it they've been there and they've done it themselves as coaches and they can see something within you that you you not might not have seen it like a diamond in the rough kind of method into term, into the terms of that it's like it's not until I probably made it. It's like, okay, I am I am good enough to be on this stage. I want more of it. But I think maybe in hindsight, and obviously being a coach now myself, preaching all the things that I do, and I'd probably love to have been able to say that to myself probably 10, 15 years ago, James. Well, you need to listen to what I'm saying now. Uh, as a 30-year-old, as a teenager, 20, yes, you're young. Yes, you can get away with not having a lot of sleep. However, you're not coming back to 100% every single day. It's, it's one of those things where you perceive that you're indestructible, you can't be broken. Well, I think, what was I watching? Something this week came up on television. Sport is very destructive to the body. We're not supposed to be able to... We shouldn't, should I say push our bodies to the extreme so obviously the body's going to push back in terms of switching off in terms of a, uh, you know like the mental capacity of okay no 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 we don't like where you're going with, with uh whatever method of training be it be lactate threshold or rowing was very hard because that tested you mentally because you, you were cr- crushing your lungs and every uh, every stroke because of the the classification so i think that one is very I won't put it down to willpower, but you've got to be mentally strong to be able to push through that. And I think at times I wasn't because obviously not being able to breathe is life or death. So I think you do think to yourself, well, you're thinking of the worst case scenario that I stopped breathing. Whereas if I'd have just been able to probably push that to one side for one minute, I'd have been all right and just come, James, it's 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 not that big a deal. It's a couple minutes. Yes, you can't breathe from a recovery standpoint, be it because the, the rest period isn't long enough. However, you get through that, you'll become a better individual. Whereas I think I wasn't inclined to be able to push that extra percent, should I say, to be able to go into the realms of, be it the Olympic champions, the Paralympic champions, the, what is the, the difference maker, be it pushing you know, the boundaries and, and kind of going beyond them. I wanted to hit the red line, but there was very few times I wanted to go through it. I think there'd be one or two and I could do it, but it it was few and far between. And I think, and I'd be quite open and vulnerable with this. Coaches would say to me, and I still use it to this day, you don't know which James is going to turn up.
0: Well, firstly, just on that then. So I just want to acknowledge you, obviously, for your honesty and vulnerability there in terms of, Just being completely transparent there. So you obviously now, obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing, you've got that self-awareness and realising that maybe I had a bit more potential or I wasn't pushing the boundaries because I was just literally getting to the red light. So it's great because in a way it kind of dehumanises you in that people will look at you and probably put you on a pedestal and think, wow, this guy's absolutely killed the game and he must never have a bad day, he must always work at 100% and just hearing what you've just said there is probably probably the best part of this episode in itself to know that actually i'm not doing it every day but what i am still doing is being consistent i am still working hard it's not like you're giving up at 10 percent. you're still working to that red line and you're just repeating it and repeating it and repeating it and with that obviously comes results so thank you for sharing that you also answered a question that i always ask towards the end of the show as well which is a message to your younger self which was obviously a positive message just to kind of know that look this isn't going to last forever let's really try and Go all in on it, and I guess this answer itself kind of explains your your answer to the fear question in terms of making sure now you kind of fulfil your potential. So thanks, James. I, I appreciate that. I I love it when somebody can just literally be open and honest with their vulnerabilities, and I think that will help the listeners. That's oh, my pleasure. And on that note then, so as we are kind of edging towards the end of the show, I like to call this the fun part of the show where I'm going to put you through 60 to 90 seconds of the most random questions. And it's just going to be multiple choice. So one word or one sentence answers just to give the listeners a little bit more about you. So whenever you're ready, mate, I'm going to start the timer. I'm good to go. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go in three two one okay james if you could abolish one thing in the world what would it be Uh, i'd say discrimination what is your favorite sport rugby what are you secretly good at other than sports that nobody knows I'd go with music. Your biggest role model?
1: Uh, Ryan Giggs.
0: What would you like to be remembered for?
1: I would say legacy.
0: Your biggest goal this year?
1: I would say probably try and help as many people as I can before this this year is out. Your favourite motivational speaker? Eric Thomas.
0: If you could relive one day again, what day would it be?
1: My first Paralympic final?
0: The ability to fly or be invisible? Invisible. Money or fame? Fame. Your favourite food? favourite food. I'd have to say Italian. Would you rather speak all languages or be able to speak to animals? Speak all languages. Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. Your biggest addiction? Probably YouTube. If you could sit with one person in the world for an hour, who would it be? Muhammad Ali. Would you rather know how you would die or when you would die? Probably how. And finally, if I could grant you one wish at the end of this episode, what would it be?
1: For it to be a success
0: love it okay, so what was interesting there was um one of your answers was about legacy, and that actually is pretty much the theme behind my last question. So the last question that I always like to ask all my guests, James, is if in one hundred and fifty years' time science fails to save us, and all that exists is a book, and this book is about you it 's about your life it 's about all of the amazing achievements that you 've achieved it 's about all of your ups and all of your downs. Firstly, what I want to know is what would the title of the book be? And secondly, what would the summary at the
1: back tell us about you? Oh, that's an amazing question. I think I'll go with the summary at the back it's slightly easier than the title. I would go with, obviously, be all in, be patient, be persistent and play the long game. And then the title, let's go with adapt. Adapt.
0: I like that. I like that. Okay, fantastic. So... Just before we wrap up and I give you a chance, obviously, to put your social media handles out there so our listeners can connect with you and follow your incredible journey. James, is there any questions that you wish I may have asked you today or is there anything that you want to kind of leave the listeners
1: with? The last thing what I'd, I'd want to leave with them, I, I think it is having that notion of playing the long game. It's, mm-hmm. I know we live in a society where we want instant gratification mm-hmm. and we want it now, now, now. Mm-hmm. But what position does that put us in? It puts us mm. in a state of competition. So you're always comparing yourself to others. And then obviously you're, you're, you're putting your expectations to be it what other people will think of you. And you're always striving to to obviously achieve perfection, which in, in a sense is imperfection because you're always striving to get the approval of somebody else, but not yourself. So I think that's, that's a change where I think persistence... Patience and consistency is a virtue because it gives you a sense of as you start to see the results, you start to probably do it for yourself, and you probably start to shy away from what anybody thinks. I'm not saying that social media is an evil thing; it's not the best, but if you're able to take a step back and do it for the right reasons, and and I'll call it the why aspect of why you want to change. Yes, I could do it for this reason. But I'm going to do it for this better reason. And and I'm okay with that. And the results that I thus get from it are for me. And I could care less of other people's opinions or be it good or bad intentions that they have towards me. Absolutely. I think
0: you hit the nail on the head there. We all need to strive for approval from ourselves first and foremost and you sound like me there and um, i was smiling because i've had a lot of rants and blogs and stuff about just you know authenticity is a buzzword it's a keyword and a lot of people use it and they don't really necessarily mean it and i'm just like just be your true self consistently because that's kind of what the world needs to see and if you wouldn't mind then if you could just give us the best ways our listeners can connect with you and follow your journey and show you as much support as possible
1: you can follow me on twitter instagram facebook linkedin if you have it at james o roberts 11 so if you type in the the precursor to that from the social media perspective, and then add that you'll find me Mm -hmm. you can find me uh with my own podcast show the mindset athlete which is on itunes apple podcast spotify or anywhere that you listen to podcasts
0: fantastic okay so what i will do is make sure i put all of those links to make it really easy for the listeners in the show notes make sure you follow james not just on his handles, but also follow the podcast as well, where you're going to get a lot more mindset tips and tricks from an athlete as well. I want to thank James for sharing his story. And for everyone else at home, thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is absolutely free. So all we ask in return is for you to
1: share this with a friend and drop us a five-star review over on iTunes. Have an awesome day.